Welcome to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Our lesson this morning comes from the second chapter of the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, hear these words. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion, any sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Okay, I'm making my prediction. I'm calling it early. It's in the month of July, but my wager with you, my wager with you as a Methodist, we can't bet as Methodist, we have to wager, is that Time Magazine's person of the year this year will be COVID-19. Watch it. It's coming. COVID-19. Oh my goodness, it has just turned our lives and our world upside down and backwards. But we've gotten some new vocabulary words. COVID-19. Why did they start with 19? Why couldn't it have been COVID-1? What happened to viruses 1 through 18? And it was corona for a while until the beer sales tanked. And they figured, we got to fix that. It's COVID-19. And you've learned about flattening the curve. Every mathematician knows that eventually a sine curve goes flat on you. It's just what sine curves do. And we've learned the difference between pandemic and epidemic, between isolation and quarantine. We've gotten all these words that have come into our vocabulary that are now a part of our vocabulary. We've got hybrid school. I can't even imagine as a school child what it would have been like to have had hybrid school. Of course, we didn't have the interweb back then. 
we just had those, those chalk tablets that we all wrote on and we uh, chiseled our names into our desk back in the day. And parents, God bless you. I can't, I, I don't even know how you're doing it, but we're going to find ways of helping you do this hybrid, hyper school we're going to do. Thank goodness the comedians have shown up now. Have you heard of this one? The COVID-15, the quarantine 15. How many have you gotten a quarantine 15? It hits you right here. Yes, that's the quarantine 15. And some theologians are writing about Coronageddon. It's right next to Armageddon. And I talked last week about doom scrolling and doom surfing. You just get on there and you can't help it. You got to look at the next word or the next article. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's terrible. The birds, they're flying. They've taken off. We don't know why they're taking off and they're flying, but they're flying. They've been flying forever. This is no new thing. Paul was in quarantine. And as he wrote the book of Philippians, there are 42 examples in the book of Philippians of hopax legomena. Hopax legomena is a Greek phrase which means appearing only once in the New Testament. So there are 42 words in the book of Philippians that Paul uses only once that only appear once in the New Testament. These words fall in two broad categories. The first category is friendship words. Paul was intimately involved and acquainted with the Philippian church. He loved them. He had served with them. The the story in Acts about the Philippian jailer is one of my favorites. So Paul was friends with the church, and he used a bunch of sharing words, give-and-take words, mentor and disciple words, reminding them of their friendship. The other class of words he used were unique to his quarantine. Words involving the Roman praetorian guard, the household of Caesar, Paul being poured out as a libation. They were unique to his setting. He starts out in the second chapter If there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I want to get there. I want to be an encouragement to you in Christ. There are times you're going to need me to be a consolation to you, to, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you, or to, to be with you when big life changes, and you're going to need somebody to console you. We're going to share in the Spirit, and I certainly want to be compassionate and sympathetic. But here's the rub in what Paul was saying. Make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord, and being of one mind. One mind. How long has it been since you've been with a group of Methodists who were of one mind? 
Goodness gracious, I was looking down at my hands as we were, we were worshiping, and I've got the, the scar here on the top of my hand, and it comes from the great overhead projector debate at the Blackwater Methodist Church in 1995. Should we bring the projector in when we bring the guitar and the drums in for that radical contemporary worship. See, I'm a survivor of the worship wars back in the 90s when we were all starting this stuff, so occasionally I twitch. You know, when the Methodists say, preacher, that was too loud. Oh, thank God I haven't heard that. Y'all have learned how to be of one mind, haven't you? Can you imagine Methodists being of one mind? Can you imagine us getting along in our culture? Back in February, when I found I was coming here, I jumped back into Facebook. I abandoned Facebook in 2010, got off of it, can't take it, can't deal with it, bye-bye, sayonara. And so I came back to it, and my associate down in Natchitoches said, you're not going to like it, it's changed. I said, I look at grandkid pictures and cute videos of kitty cats and I can look at all this stuff and just be at one and happy and joyous and I found out people get on Facebook to debate one another and they're always telling me if I really believe this say amen and post it. Well some of the stuff I believe but I'm not going to say amen and post it because I don't like the attitude you framed it in. My nephew Trey, I saw a post from him yesterday and and Trey has got an interesting thing and I want to find out if I can do it. He said, can I put a filter on Facebook where I can face, where I can edit out and filter out the word mask? Oh, man, even my baby sister got into the mask thing, and my baby sister doesn't care about masks, but, oh, she had to have an opinion. So when Paul says you need to be of one mind, he's talking about something you and I cannot create in the natural. You and I cannot create in the flesh. You and I cannot connive, cajole, or stir up to be of one mind. And he goes on to tell us how we can get to this one mind position. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And he describes that for us, and he introduces us to another very important theological word in Paul's writing, where he said, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. The Greek word means something to be hung on to. It's verse 7, but he emptied himself. The Greek word is kenosis. He emptied himself. He let go of the rights and privileges of divinity, of the rights and the privileges of heaven, of the rights and privileges of being the creator. 
When all this started, I was on a coaching call with my coach. You'll be glad to know after 40 years in ministry, I still have a coach because I'm trying to figure out how to do it because every time I get it figured out, something changes. And we were talking about being a pastor through this whole COVID time. And when it first started out and we first went into quarantine or whatever we went into, most of us preachers got pretty useless pretty fast. We couldn't do church, at least not live church. They wouldn't let us in hospitals or in nursing homes. They wouldn't let us do funerals or weddings. If you tried to knock on somebody's door, they would look at you and say, go away. There was nothing for us to do. We were empty of that which had given life meaning of that which we knew how to do. Our world had been basically thrown out. And as we talked about this, my coach said, I think that's the word for our ministry, kenosis. We need to be empty. In the church, we need to be empty. You know what that means? That means we can get rid of some of the things we've always done because we've always done them. Shh. Don't tell the Methodist we're going to do that, okay? Because some of the things we do are, are necessary and some of the things we do are vital for ministry and some of the things we do lead people to Jesus Christ. And some of the things we do are just busy work to keep you all out of trouble. We figure if we can keep you in church, we can keep you from sinning. And most of you learn to sin at church from experts. So what if we emptied ourselves? What if we emptied ourselves of the way we'd always done it? What if we emptied ourselves of some of the the patterns of behavior that aren't helpful? What if we let go of some stuff and just said, Lord, I'm empty, fill me up. Holy Spirit's been trying to fill us up, but we've gotten so full of ourselves, so full of what we want, so full full of what we think that often there isn't room enough for God. And what if we just emptied ourselves and allowed this kenosis to be a part of our theological life? What if not only we laid down our burdens, but we laid down our preferences, we laid down our opinions, and we laid them at the foot of the cross? We said, here they are, Jesus. How would we be different? He took on the form of a slave and became obedient unto death. We didn't do Good Friday this year. We didn't do Holy Week. We didn't do Easter Sunday. Can you believe that? We didn't do live worship on Easter Sunday. And because we missed Holy Week, we kind of missed the notion of this kenosis because you have Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He's he's on the donkey. They're throwing the cloaks out. They're waving the palm branches. They're shouting Hosanna. They're welcoming him in as king of Jerusalem. They're saying, you rock, you rule Jesus. We are going to follow you. We're going to follow you all the way to Herod and we're going to have a battle between you and Herod and the one with the biggest crowd and the one with the loudest voice and the one that's most powerful. There's going to be a battle and old Herod's going to get himself kicked and whooped and Jesus is going to be on the throne of his life. Praise God. Except that isn't kenosis. That's king 
Jesus emptied himself. He was willing to be arrested. He was allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed the crown of thorns to be placed on his head. He, he walked the way of sorrows. He endured the agony of the cross and he died on that Roman symbol of humiliation and death. He emptied himself. He was willing to be embarrassed. He was willing to be humiliated. He was willing to be a servant Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was given the powerful name, the name of Jesus As God creates in Genesis, he does so by naming things. God names light and there is light. God names firmament and there's firmament. God names water and there's water. God names the animals and humanity and it appears because God has named it. And Adam's first task is to name things. The Bible says, and God brings the the animals to Adam to see what Adam will name them. And God names, and Adam names hippopotamus, hippopotamus. And God names giraffe, giraffe. And whatever Adam calls them, that's what they become. Adam becomes co-creator with God. And God still gives us the power to name. The power to name things. And you name things. For better, for worse, you name them. Man, when you plop a label on somebody, a group of individuals or somebody in your life, you can so easily dismiss those people. You don't have to see them as human beings anymore because they're one of them folks. It's one of them conservative people. You never see the humanity or the person. They're just conservatives. That's one of them liberal people. You never see them as an individual, as a human being. Because you've thrown a label on them. By naming them, you've diminished them. Each one of us is created uniquely in the image of God. Each one of us bears that image of God. Each one of us are holy and sacred to God. He loves us so much, he died for us. Be careful how you use those names. We name things that have happened to us in our lives for good or for ill. You know, there's some of us, we have reached so, we've gotten so many years that AARP has us on their frequent flyer list. We bought everything they have to offer us because we want our AARP discount. But we still remember things that happened to us when we were in the first grade. And we name those events, and they scar us, and they pull us back. And parents, be so careful with those sacred little ones, because sometimes in a moment of frustration or in a moment of the aggravation, something pops out 
and you name something and you create a reality for your child. You have the power to bless them, love them, affirm them, bless them. And sometimes you have to be like me. Rather than counting, I walk off and count because it's going to take me a lot of numbers to calm down and walk back in. You see how we name things and create these realities that, that aren't helpful? You may be planning for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh, my goodness, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And your Uncle Harold is coming. Every family has an Uncle Harold. Uncle Harold is that special uncle who has the gift of just destroying a family celebration. Because Uncle Harold is on the list. Everybody in the family is named this, and Uncle Harold is named this. And Uncle Harold will want to debate for his position right in the middle of the turkey and dressing. So be careful how you name things. And what you call things. Because you give those things power in your life. You give those things room in your life. And what we're called to do as Christians is to call the name of Jesus. To call the name of Jesus over our failures. To call the name of Jesus over those hurt places in our souls. To call the name of Jesus to pray for healing and grace. We're to call the name of Jesus and be saved. We're to call the name of Jesus and ask anything in his name and receive that because it's a powerful name. You know, Chris is going to do this next week because we talk about sermons, about how God changes names. Abram and Sarai became Abraham and Sarah. Jacob becomes Israel Peter, Simon becomes Peter, Saul becomes Paul because God transforms these people. He changes them as they live into his name. So Paul was saying, I can be of one mind with you, my Philippian friends. I can be of one mind with even my Roman captors. I can be of one mind because I am of one mind in Christ Jesus. I think the thoughts of Jesus, who even though he was God, emptied himself. It is a way of living upside down and backwards as we live into and live out of the name of Jesus Christ. It's counterintuitive. Lewis Carroll's famous book, Through the Looking Glass, has Alice stepping through the mirror in the living room to the world on the opposite side of the mirror, where everything's backwards. Alice wants to go forward, but every time she moves, she ends up back where she started. She tries to go left and ends up right. Up is down, fast is slow, slow is fast. Similarly, you and I live in kind of a looking glass world where everything works on principles that are opposite from the world around us. Jesus said what? To be blessed, you bless others. To receive love and forgiveness, you give love and forgiveness. To be honored, you humble yourselves. To truly live, 
you die to yourself. To gain the unseen, you let go of the seen. To receive, first you give. To save your life, you lose it. To lead, you become a servant. To be first, you become last. It's a paradox. To be free, you become obedient. It's a paradox that brings us life abundant. It's a paradox that puts us in touch with Jesus Christ. It's a paradox that allows us to participate in God's kingdom, that allows us to bring salvation through the name of Jesus Christ to others. It's a gift and a calling and an honor that you have been given. Would you stand and pray with me? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, O oh God, that we would be a church of one mind and one heart that we would seek to be instruments of sympathy and compassion, encouragement and understanding. Help us through our love of you and our love of each other to point the world to the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.